This is episode 10 of Beyond the Bulletin. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Beyond the Bulletin. I'm Brandon Sweet, editor of The Daily Bulletin. And I'm Pamela Smythe, media relations manager. We're coming to you not quite live from East Campus 5. Thank you for joining us as we go Beyond the Bulletin. Like we do every week, we'll talk about some of the top stories featured in the Daily Bulletin and look ahead to what's happening inside and outside Ring Road. We'll also take the opportunity to speak with people and personalities on campus about key issues that matter. This week, I speak with Victor Aurora from the Department of Physics and Astronomy. He runs the Gustav Bacchus Observatory, which has a special role in sharing science with the public. So, Pamela, 10 episodes. Yeah, we're in the double digits. Double digits. That's quite a uh, Who knew we had this much content to uh, <laughs> deliver to the campus community? It's a horn of plenty. <laughs> a cornucopia? <laughs> horn of plenty. Wow, that's great. Well, uh, everyone, Our thank you. cup runneth over. Thank you for listening um, for yes. these last uh, 10 episodes plus our episode zero. Uh, and we hope to uh, have enough content scraped together for at least 10 more. Yeah, that'd be good. Yep. Well, there's a lot coming up. Yeah, the fall is busy. Yes, and in that spirit, here's what happened. Four recent engineering alumni are advancing their school project at the Hulk Prize Startup Accelerator, located in a 16th century English estate. The four alumni who all graduated from mechatronics engineering this spring are spending five weeks this summer at the breathtaking Ashridge Country Estate, located in an idyllic little town just outside of London. They're one of 40 teams from around the world staying in Henry VIII's former residence. They're going through a rigorous curriculum to transform ideas into viable companies in the Holt Prize Challenge, the world's largest student social entrepreneurship competition. That's a mouthful, Pamela. (laughs) It's run out of air there. That's right. So uh, two years ago, uh, a team called Epoch that developed a mobile marketplace to better connect refugees to their communities made it to the last round of the Halt Prize competition. The project the four new Waterloo graduates have taken to this year's Halt Startup Accelerator is called Better Bail for America, or BB4A, a solution to help prevent youth unemployment in the United States by enabling young, employed, first-time offenders on minor charges to access crowdfunded, interest-free bail. You know what? This is actually... I saw a story on this not very long ago on CBS Sunday Morning about how a lot of people are incarcerated because they can't afford bail and sometimes the bail is just high so this is a great idea the bb4a team members came up with the idea for their project last year in a fourth year social entrepreneurship course offered through the conrad school of entrepreneurship and business the course's social curriculum is designed around the halt challenge each fall selected by former u.s president bill clinton to create an innovative social enterprise that addresses the problem BB4A's project topic turned out to be a perfect fit with the issue of youth unemployment, which was the focus of the 2019 International HALT Challenge. The top six teams from the summer program will move on to the HALT final round this September at the UN in New York City for the chance to win $1 million and mentorship from the international business community. The iconic steel sculptures that once graced the Hagee Hall courtyard have been relocated four years after their removal. The four welded steel pieces created by sculptor Ron Baird and entitled A Sculpture Environment were installed at the Hagee Hall Courtyard way back in 1970 and were certainly recognizable features of the arts environment over the next 44 years until construction began on the Hagee Hall Hub, which was an infill project that overlapped with the footprint of the courtyard. 
The colorful pieces, which are lovingly referred to as pickle forks... The artist even calls them that. That's right. They are, were placed in storage pending a discussion over where their new home on campus should be. And during that time, the artist worked with plant operations to reimagine their arrangement into what has been described as a single Swiss army knife-like sculpture. <laughs> Plant Ops recently installed them on a grassy knoll outside the Psychology, Anthropology, and Sociology building on the university's south campus. Uh, the sculpture environment was actually the second piece of public outdoor work of art installed on the University of Waterloo's campus. The first was called Triad by the same artist, installed in 1965 between the Biology and Chemistry buildings. So, this raises a question about some pieces of public art on campus that are no longer with us. For example... You may have seen a concrete block or plinth outside South Campus Hall and wondered just what was it doing there. Uh, this happened to be the location of a sculpture called Joy, created by artist Theodore Harlander that was erected there in 1971. This work showed two stylized concrete figures, their arms raised in what could only be described as a joyful manner, hence the name. These statues became a favorite landmark for engineering students to decorate during their iron ring ceremony celebrations. Yes. Now, unfortunately, these statues were irreparably damaged in 2004 when a delivery truck backed into them. I guess the driver didn't see the statues waving their arms. I guess not. Stop! <laughs> could be joy, could be stop. So, unfortunately, after the statues were damaged, uh, they were evaluated and, you know, they were beyond repair uh, and removed Aww. after the accident. But the concrete pedestal remains and has been used in various ways uh, in the years since. At least like it was what? there the last time I checked. I think people have put um, uh, displays re relating to retail services or something out there um, oh. on it uh, from time to time. Or maybe people have taken their photos, taken photos on them, that sort of thing. I think we need some more art. Oh, there's plenty of art. <laughs> Where is it all? Oh, well, we're going to get into that. All right. Another iconic piece of campus art was entitled David of Sassoon by artist Armand Buzbuzian, which was installed in 1977 outside the Mathematics and Computer Building. This work was also made of steel, painted blue, and was an abstract depiction of Armenian folk hero David of Sassoon, known as the Armenian Hercules and the subject of many folk tales and legends collected into a connected narrative in the 19th century. And if you squinted at it, you might be able to make out a simplified and abstracted view of the classic image of a man astride a rearing horse. But the sculpture also gained fame because if you looked at it at the right angle, the welded steel pane seemed to spell out the initial CS for computer science. So this sculpture, sometimes referred to as the Blue Squiggle, was removed along with the beach volleyball court and the rest of the Biology 2 Green to facilitate the construction of the Mike and Ophelia Lazaridis Quantum Nano Center back in 2008. And it may be in storage to this day. We need to find out what happened to it. That's a great question. If you happen <laughs> to know what happened to David of Sassoon, please send an email to bulletin at uwaterloo.ca. <laughs> to think that the plant operations warehouse on the north campus is like that government storage facility at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark where the Ark of the Covenant is put into storage who knows what other treasures have been locked away in there. Plant operations has top men working on it. Top men. What does that mean? That's a line from the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It is? Co at the end of at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, Marcus Brody and Indiana Jones are talking to the two government agents that they were introduced to at the beginning of the film who set them on this crazy adventure to find the Ark of the Covenant. And Marcus and Indy are like, Where's the Ark? Like, what have you done with it? And the government agent guys are like, you know, it's fine, it's safe. We've got top men looking at it, looking into it. Uh -huh. And Indy's like, who? Because who else has the knowledge and the mm -hmm. and the background to explore the power of the Ark of the Covenant. Don't worry your pretty little head in. And the guy looks at him and says, top 
Nah. And finally, my favorite campus art story of them all. A piece of public art so reviled by certain members of the campus community that it was the target of sabotage and actually blown to smithereens. What? In 1975, a fiberglass tube sculpture entitled Convolution was created by artist Ed Zelenak and installed on the grassy knoll between the Dana Porter Library and the Physics Building. Another grassy knoll? Because we're talking about art assassination on campus, Pamela, that's why. Art assassination. <laughs> So Convolution was not a hit with the campus community and was often derided as a plastic worm. Those of you who know your local art history, like moi, will recall that Ed Zalanak created the orange fiberglass artwork outside the old Kitchener Courthouse downtown called Aporia. Ah, yes, the infamous orange intestine. I like it. That is what it looks like. I always thought it looked like an organ. Yeah, it is kind of organic. Local reaction to that piece over the years has been to be polite polarizing, so you can imagine how people felt about this Waterloo installation. Indeed. It was not long before a person or persons with little appreciation for abstract art took up some blunt instruments and pummeled that fiberglass structure, breaking a hole in it, and then dragged it off its base and dumped it on the sidewalk a few yards away. Legend has it that President Bert Matthews walked right by it that morning on his way to work and didn't notice anything different about it. So the sculpture, damaged as it was, was briefly put into plant-op storage, repaired, and then replaced. But this did not deter the vandals, who returned with more firepower the following year. They used explosives to blow that fiberglass worm to pieces, damaging the sculpture beyond repair and forcing its removal from campus. At wow, least, that is extreme. That is a little extreme. At least that's how the legend goes. I mean, really, isn't art supposed to get people talking and thinking? And I mean, I think taking matters into your own hands by actually destroying property is maybe not the best way to express your opinions about art. I agree. Also, I've heard that there is sort of a, a psychological condition where someone appreciates a piece of art so much that they feel that they need to destroy it. Oh, really? Uh, they love it a little too much. Is so, that like your love bomb tie? It is It is kind of like the, the tie that I am known to wear. Um, yeah, so maybe there was some sort of creative destruction uh, at work um, or some sort of protest, or maybe they just didn't like the look of this wiggly worm on campus. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, if you look at that green space uh, between the library and physics, uh, that art is no longer there. Convolution, we hardly knew you. So, I put this question to our listeners. What's your favorite piece of public art on the university's campus? Is it the aforementioned triad outside the biology building? Is it Walking Girl by the Modern Languages Pool? Porcelino the Wild Boar? Or Break the Egg Fountain outside Math and Computer? Or another one we haven't mentioned, because there are several pieces of art inside and outside buildings on campus. Let us know by sending an email to bulletin at uwaterloo.ca. Now, for what's coming up on campus and beyond. The Lime e-scooter pilot on the University of Waterloo campus will be ending on August 12th at 11.59pm. What a twist! <laughs> this brings that pilot project on both the university campus and the Waterloo community to a close. According to campus sources, Lyme will be looking ahead to 2020 when they hope that the provincial government will update legislation that will allow a formal rollout of e-scooters on campus and beyond. Now, here's the interview. The Gustav Backus Observatory, located on the roof of the physics building, has been a fixture of the university since 1967. Victor Aurora runs the observatory and joins me now. Welcome, Victor. Thank you. So the Gustav Backus Observatory is named after the first astronomer at Waterloo. Tell me a little bit about the uh, the observatory. What goes on there? 
Uh, well, as you said, the observatory is on the rooftop of the physics building. Um, we have a tour program for both uh, public visitors, so an open house that runs every month, usually on the first Wednesday. Um, folks are, are welcome to come. It's, it's geared toward an all-ages audience. We start off with a 30-minute or so presentation just to whet your appetite a little bit and uh, uh, set in context what we're going to be doing when we head up to the rooftop. Um, and if weather permits, we'll do a little bit of stargazing using our 30-centimeter uh, automated telescope. Um, in the summertime, in this past July, we had uh, you know upwards of 60 or 70 people come. Uh, it's not uncommon in the summertime to have uh, tours where 100 guests visit. What do you think is informing people's excitement about looking through the telescope and learning about what's what's out there? Um, I think it really uh, touches into kind of a, a very deep um, longing to know what it means to be a, a citizen of the universe, to understand, you know, the very deep questions like where do we come from, where are we going, um, what's our origin, you know, what's our, our past and, and what's our future as well. And I think astronomy touches on all of those things because it's something that's very visual. You can just step outside and, and have a look at the stars. And uh, there's a lot of really mind-blowing facts and um, concepts that you can learn from astronomy that also inform our life day-to-day uh, -day on the world. Like what? Um, for example, uh, the most obvious thing that I can think of is uh, the motion of the moon around uh, the the Earth and, you know, the the well-worn story of how that, uh, you know, uh, apple falling on the, the head of uh, Isaac Newton um, inspired him to think about, you know, gravitation and how the, the moon is able to fall around the Earth but never actually fall into the Earth mm. and uh, leading into this, um, you know, incredible journey of, of understanding um, gravitation in our universe to be able to um, understand it so well that we can launch spacecraft that, that follow this exact same law and uh, go and visit some of these places in our solar system. I can't imagine 100 people in that observatory. I've been there. Yes. Yeah. How do you manage that? Uh, so what we've been doing lately is uh, we actually have a, a team of um, dedicated undergraduate volunteers. Um, and so a shout out to them because, uh, again, they are volunteers in the truest sense of the word. Um, they approached me. Um, there's about a half a dozen of them individually um, just wanting to be a bigger part of, of what happens uh, with the observatory and ask if they could help out in some way. Hmm. And so on nights when I anticipate that there will be a lot of people or uh, if we book a private group tour that's uh, going to have a very large attendance I try to recruit them and see if they can come and and set up a smaller telescope somewhere else on the rooftop and uh, we try to split people up so that they don't have to wait quite as long in line to uh, spend their minute or so at the telescope they can go and visit the other group what is it that excited you that got you attracted to astronomy in the first place to astronomy um, I think it's just some of the the um, ideas again that uh, we can actually understand this stuff you know even though that the the stars and and galaxies and and even you know when you get closer to the planets i mean they're still impossibly far away right um it's not uh you know we'll see what happens in the future but it, it's not something that's very easy uh for a person to go and visit and to learn about firsthand but on the other hand um just with a tool as simple as a telescope which is you know a curved piece of glass or especially curved mirror you can learn so much about these things that are you know light years away you know tens of trillions of kilometers uh you can um do little tricks like spread out the light into its constituent components and learn uh, exactly what's making up those objects. Um, you can learn about, you know, how hot they are, how big they are, how fast they're moving, um, all sorts of things that, that you're learning in kind of a remote way, but you're still very much there and in the moment um, taking that data and then, you know, 
putting your mathematical and, and your physical understanding to it to try to tease out some of the details. So uh, all of that, you know, it, it kind of uh, gave me a rush when I was studying it that we could do anything close to that. Um, and uh, and now to be able to share some of that, a little bit of that with the public and hopefully inspire some other folks to look into it oh, yeah. um, is something that's that's really, really rewarding. How is it sharing something so complicated as astronomy and space with the general public? How does that work? Um, well, certainly it's, it's something we have to, uh, to keep in mind when we're talking to different audiences, you know, kind of, uh, what level of technical detail they will accept before their eyes glaze over. Um, <laughs> one, one technique that I like to use is I try to, to inter, intersperse uh, as many stories as possible. And these are, are very human stories, everything from indigenous perspectives to, um, historical, um, anecdotes that actually come from the the history of astronomy and i find that those are really good ways to to um, relate science to people because again it it really comes down to a human story so in in many ways i always say the story of science and the story of astronomy parallels our own history and um, it's a it's a technique that i like to use because i mean i I enjoy the stories as much as anyone what are some of your memorable visits or moments when people come to the observatories or anything that stands out um i think in recent uh history this past january and it was a cold and and frigid uh, sunday night we had over 100 visitors come for our lunar eclipse party um which was quite surprising because there was all sorts of uh weather warnings about uh, the wind chill and things like that and and people came out and we had the the royal astronomical society join us that that evening as well they set up some telescopes on the rooftop we had people from the public come just uh, unannounced and they set up their own camera tripods um, and took photographs on the rooftop, uh, which was, again, an amazing event to see such a, a lively crowd and, and so many people interested in seeing um, this event. So that was kind of a really surprising by the number of people that we got on uh, under such conditions, but uh, also, again, very, uh, very, it made me very happy to see that for sure. Now, the, the Perseids meteor shower is uh, at its peak, I understand, on August the 12th, and the Faculty of Science and the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada local chapter uh, is hosting a viewing party here. Is the observatory involved in that? No, it actually isn't. Um, so for those who haven't experienced a meteor shower before, um, basically you'll get to experience these flashes or these streaks of light that will happen uh, basically in a, in a random fashion. It could happen anywhere on the sky. And so um, if you're looking through a telescope, that's not really the best way to experience it because with a telescope, you're just looking at a really tiny por- parcel of the sky. So you want to be under a, a, a basically an unobstructed view of the entire dome of the sky. Um, and so a, a large field like I think they'll be doing for this event is really the optimal place for it um you'll be surrounded by uh you know several hundred other people as well who are interested in the same thing and, and it's a very um kind of uh, jovial atmosphere to be in as well so you know experiencing with people is going to be great as well and you know i always tell people that go to an event like this you know you even want to put your phone away um because even if you're looking at your phone you know a meteor will be over just like that and i don't know if you can hear that but i snap my <laughs> fingers um so you really need to be looking up and again if you're with people you can kind of chat and keep each other company and uh just kind of revel in the in the cosmic battle of nature. Wow, cosmic ballet, I love that. <laughs> Why do you think it's important for us to have people come to campus and take part in this? Um, I think it's important because um, 
people tend to have a fear of the unknown and so certainly coming to campus and and seeing what it is that we do here um, even though we don't use the observatory anymore as a, as a research tool at all but um, being able to get a, a feeling of what that might have been like when we did use it and, and to learn a little bit about um, what research is presently being done by uh, scientists and, and to learn in particular the process of science um, I think that's something that's applicable to uh, very many fields when I, I see sort of ideas from even the world of business or, or from other areas I see things that remind me a lot of the scientific method so um, I think getting an understanding of that being able to, to critically analyze the information that's presented to you that's something that transcends any one particular field so um, you know if they can get a feeling for that from um, coming to events like this even though it's just a short event but but just a little bit of a taste of something like that and, and maybe it's something that they can build on and, and research on their own um, go to future events and uh, and uh, you know who knows what kind of seed we might plant there certainly when you walk onto campus uh, one of the first things that you see is the observatory dome and uh, I'm sure a lot of people have been curious about it in the past and, and wanted to know what actually went up on what went on up there so now they can come and check it out Yep, that's right. Uh, they can come up and check it out if they've not never had a chance to do so. If they, or if they, even if they have uh, had a chance to do so and want to come back again, we welcome them. Great. Well, we'll put a link on our show notes in SoundCloud on how people can sign up for a tour. That's great. Great. Thanks for being here, Victor. Thanks for having me, Pamela. Well, that about wraps it up for us this week. You can find additional information and links about the items we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes on SoundCloud. To ensure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the Beyond the Bulletin podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening as we went Beyond the Bulletin. Did you know that there are several copies of the Porcelino that um, bore in front of arts? Did you know there was one in one of the Harry Potter films? I did not know that. I knew that there were. I, th- I knew that the that Porcelino was essentially a cast of a pre-existing statue that has sort of been re- replicated several different places, mm-hmm. but I was not aware it was in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm.